Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi there, uh, it's Doc Joshi here. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Doc underscore Joshi, and I contribute to lots of podcasts and YouTube channels and do a bit of writing as well. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City fan for EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Um, I write for Goal.com, Sockaway.com and plenty of other kind of betting gaming related sites as well. Terrific. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, up first, I want to talk about an experience that uh, I had this weekend. I had the fortune of going to, well, it was supposed to be fortune of going to the Manchester City versus Tottenham match. It was just in Nashville here in the International Champions Cup. Um, and something very strange happened from my perspective. Uh, so obviously a very big move this summer was Kyle Walker's move to Manchester City. We talked about it a little bit last week uh, when Richard Burns was on. Uh, but I was pointing out that there wasn't necessarily a bad guy in that move. Walker lost his guaranteed spot heading into a World Cup year. We had Kieran Trippier. Manchester City offer loads and loads of money. He's from the north, wanted to go back there. There are quotes from Pochettino saying that that was part of their discussion was that he wanted to move closer to home. So when all this happened, my take on it was there's not a bad guy here. I know when big transfers like this happen, people want to vilify or find who the bad guy is. I just didn't feel there was one. So much to my surprise at the match yesterday, uh, fans were booing Kyle Walker at every touch, not just when he walked onto the pitch for the first time. Anytime he pretty much did anything, he was being booed uh, by the Spurs supporters, which I was caught off guard by and I hope does not continue uh, into the season. Obviously, we only will play them twice in the Premier League. Whether or not we draw them in other cups, uh, time will tell. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think about booing former players like that, especially when there hasn't been like any uh, like general grievance around the player's transfer. Do you think it's just part of the atmosphere of the sport or that maybe a little more uh, kindness to a player that perhaps would have been in a club for so long? No, I think um, look, I think there's always going to be a section of fans that are going to the going to boo players that come back, but it, it also it'll be important players. And and he this is quite a I mean I'm not saying he was the most important player at Tottenham, but he was an important player, and he's gone for a lot of money to a direct rival. So all of that you're going to get a section of fans that are going to boo him, regardless of the general feeling around the club. 
Um, I don't. I mean, I think there'll be a small section. I don't know. It just depends on what Tottenham fans are like in general. And I, I mean, I'm not 100% sure on that. But they, I, I just think it happens, you know, and, and you sort of get over it. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a weird one because, like you say, there's no real grievance on either side. I can kind of understand it where there's a lot of bad blood. I said to Kev before when we briefly discussed this off air, but it's not like Walker did a, a Fabian Delph and committed himself to his current club before completely turning about face and left um, for the money and riches of Manchester City. Plus the fact that Man City basically got no decent fullbacks before this summer. So there's a real chance that he could, you know, hold down a spot potentially there now. Um, I don't really see what the massive issue is, but I guess I was saying to you, Kevin, I don't know whether it was just because it was in the States um, and, you know, those fans that are going to watch one game a year, you know, um, as part of the pre-season and probably won't get to a game in England, um, just wanted a kind of pantomime villain. It'd be interesting to see if he gets booed at, the Etihad by the away fans and then at, at White Hart, uh, the, he said White Hart Lane then at Wembley mm-hmm. um, by the, the home fans as well. Yeah, it may, it may be a, a case of uh, American culture as well. Obviously, we, we have a bit more uh, bite to our uh, fandoms. Well, I don't know if that's obvious, um, but uh, it, people get vilified very quickly. Although, you know what, this is, this is a weird ramble because it happens there as well. Because I remember reading an article about how Raheem Sterling uh, is broken buying pound stuff and then he bought a car for his mom and then everybody talked about how luxurious it was. So I suppose uh, people can be harsh both sides of the pond there. Um, but yeah, ho- I hope that he isn't booed um, uh, in either leg, either at uh, the Etihad or at White Hart Lane next season. Uh- I think the circumstances of a transfer will pretty much dictate whether the person gets booed. And, you know, for example, Wayne Rooney leaving United going to Everton. Yes, you know, in the last few seasons, last few seasons, I just, I really could not fathom why he was still in the side so regularly. And yet, now that he's gone to Everton, when he comes back to United, we're not going to boo him. He's our record goal scorer. He achieved a lot at the club. Um, He's gone back to Everton, who, you know, I don't consider a... Arrival, but if he had gone to say um, City, Chelsea. you know that that mm. that time when he wanted to go and that, the see the circumstances are completely different. He was potentially our most prominent player going to you know direct City rivals. So it, it's 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 the circumstances that will dictate. And I think the fact that it was in the US, maybe it was just sort of generating a little bit of um, needle in a in, in a friendly match. I don't know, but I think there will be. A, section that will do just because you know they won't necessarily care about the circumstances it'll just be like oh it's uh as in you know he's moving back north and all that kind of stuff but they'll they'll just see it as a okay he's left for a whole ton of money to man city who are one of our direct rivals blatantly for a lot of money or whatever right so (laughs) there will be a section i think but not i don't think it will last long to be honest yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, Rooney as well, because another thing that's happened in this transfer window is the purchase of many high-profile and, we're assuming, starting forwards for a lot of clubs in England. Um, Everton, who you just mentioned, got Rooney off of you. They bring in Sandro from Spain. United replaced Rooney, quote-unquote, with Lukaku. Um, Chelsea bring in Alvaro Morata from Real Madrid slash Juve. West Ham bring in Arnautovic and Chicharito. There have been a lot of other forwards like Mooney. Um, over to Huddersfield. I'm just curious who you think has brought in the best forward. Ah, oh, this is uh, 
obviously as a United fan, it's, you know, the whole Morata Lukaku situation over the summer, you know, apparently we wanted Morata and chased him and chased him. And then at the last minute, we Trump apparently trumped Chelsea to get Lukaku. And now there's all these debates or silly arguments about who was first choice for which club and whatever, you know, the long and short of it is um, in terms of those two specifically, I think Lukaku for the Premier League is the better signing but then Morata has shown his pedigree in the Champions League, but has never been the starting centre-forward and has never actually been the starting centre-forward in, in, a, in a whole league season. And, I don't, and he's got a lot less goals at the same age. So, you know, there's all of these things that go up, you know, that you can debate. But in the end, it's all about the player and the fit for the club and, and sort of, you know, what they bring. And you can only judge it at the end of the season. You can't really judge it now. Mm. Because if you're going to judge it now, as far as I'm concerned, Lukaku, who's got 20 international goals to Morata's one, who's got 160 career goals to Lukaku uh, to Morata's, I think 50 something. You know, mm. there's there's only one winner in that. You know, Lukaku has consistently improved year on year and proven his quality in the as in his goal scoring quality in the Premier League. Right, it's proven it. He doesn't have to prove anything else about the Premier League. Obviously, I hope that he actually kicks on and does even better. But now he's the question marks over him are about the Champions League, whether he can step it up, whether he can step it up in a in an elite club, you know, playing alongside mm. these alongside higher quality players. And for a coach like Jose Mourinho, these are all these questions that will be asked of him. So I'm not saying it's a guaranteed hit signing, but you can only judge at the end of the season. Um, and similarly with Morata, I think when you, the current situation, they've taken a big gamble on a player who's never proven himself really. He's he's done it sort of in fits and starts. If you consider the Champions League as a knockout competition that you don't play in, you know, week in, week out. Um, but even then, he's not won it. He's not, you know, he's not really settled as the first choice striker at any club. That being said, it was Real Madrid and Juventus versus mm. Lukaku, who was at Everton. So, you know, there are all these things that you play out. But ultimately, in all of these discussions, it only really matters at the end of the season. And even then, even if, you know, Morata could score a heap of goals, but does it really matter if Chelsea don't win the league or don't win any trophies? So there's lots of mm. stuff in it. So I get why people compare, especially in this situation with the whole narrative of behind first choice, second choice and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the but ultimately, you can't really, really make that judgment until the end of the season. Um, and then, you know, you've got lots of strikers that have moved this summer. I think Lacazette, you know, Lacazette joined yeah, Arsenal. Arsenal. There's some... There's a there's he's there's a potential quality fit right there. You know he's got he's the type of striker that Arsenal have lacked. I think recently with Giroud up front, um, you know they haven't had someone with that sort of direct running style with pace, quick movement, and all that kind of stuff. He could end up being an excellent signing for them, but it's still a lot of money. So I think it's an interesting one because the, it's the first time because even City have Gabriel Jesus. I know they signed him in January, but. Um, or he arrived in January, but he, he sort of didn't really, he had a, an injury and didn't really sort of feature that much. So he's also relatively new and going to be settling in. So a lot of the big guns, except for Tottenham, have brand new strikers. And uh, uh, Liverpool haven't signed anyone up front, have they? Well, they signed Salah, but he's not a striker. Yeah, so they it's signed actually, Salah, which we think pushes Firmino up front. So if you want to view yeah, that. Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting time, actually, because you've got lots of these guys coming in as the main men. And you don't know that they're going to bang in 30 goals. United's had Zlatan Ibrahimovic in a similar situation last year, and he did. Now Lukaku's got that, uh, you know, burden to shoulder 
um, and try and replace those goals. And, you know, we don't know how it's going to end up. So it's actually quite a really interesting time. And But I think for me, you can only judge at the end of the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Chicharito moving to West Ham and how you think he might perform there? I think, no, yeah, it's a good, I think it's a good signing for West Ham. Um, I don't think, I mean, I, I know a lot of United fans were, were sort of saying, oh, he'd be a great option. But actually, you know, he, he was here at the club. He did well enough, but actually wasn't as prolific. It's because he scored quite high profile goals, you know, like last minute winners and and actually quite important goals at times that people sort of have a soft spot for him. But he didn't mm. really, again, cement his place uh, in, in the side. That's why he was sold. I wasn't thinking that we should sign him back. And if you think about it, we have Anthony Marshall and Marcus Rashford in that sort of um, pacey forward type role. So I wouldn't want then Chicharito to come into the squad and sort of disturb that balance. Lukaku provides a different option. So if you're going to go for another striker, then you'd have to look at another striker that would complement those four. Maybe someone who could drop deep a little bit, perhaps. But and not that we are going for another striker, but, you know, I wouldn't want to try. I, th- I wish him well, you know, uh, but I'm not really that bothered. I think he'll do well at, at West Ham. 15 goals in the league maybe next year. Um, but I, I'm not, you know, I wish him well, but I don't think that it's as sensational a signing as some people have made out. Yeah. Uh, Jim, if, if uh, asking which one you think is the best signing is, is a stretch too far, which one of these players are you most excited? Um, probably... Purely because I don't watch as much kind of French football, Lacazette at Arsenal seems like a a good fit, as Josh has already touched upon, because he kind of suits the way that you would expect Arsenal to set up. And a lot of the time, you know, when they go for Giroud up top, they kind of they don't massively suit having a target man, and it's normally their plan B. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits with like the Sanchez saga and stuff. And obviously, that could be the kind of transfer that drags on until the um, end of the window with Sanchez potentially going to City, seemingly kind of holding out for a move there over like Bayern Munich and a few other clubs where he's been linked. But um, in terms of the club that I think they've got the best, I think Lukaku without doubt is the best um, by this summer in terms of those strikers that you mentioned, not only because he is proven in the Premier League. And I know, you know, there's an argument about whether he can cut it at a big club, but, show me a player that can get that many goals at his age, you know, at like a one in two ratio almost for the likes of Everton and West Brom with all due respect to those clubs and put him in a team which now hasn't got Wayne Rooney in it, kind of potentially not bogging down the team, but kind of being tried to fit into various positions to accommodate him because he is Wayne Rooney, despite the fact that he clearly doesn't deserve a space in the starting eleven and hasn't for about 18 months. Um, and hopefully you'll get more out of the likes of Pogba and Mkhitaryan, who, you know, excels in that number 10 role. Put them behind Lukaku, who gets goals against small teams in abundance. And one of the criticisms about him at Everton is that he doesn't perform enough in big games and he's just a flat track bully. Well, that's precisely the kind of game that United couldn't win last year. It was the nil-nil draws at home to Burnley and, you know, those kind of smaller quote-unquote teams that managed to frustrate United so it seems like a really good fit because he'll offer them an option which you know supposedly not only fills that hole left by Ibrahimovic but also kind of kills a weakness in something that really stopped them getting any closer to a decent title run last year I think they're kind of well placed this year to, to go really close I really do. As a person with a very deep voice I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. 
But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Joshy, very pleased to have you uh, back on to start this season. Manchester United last season, maybe not the year that many expected, especially with the big money signings of Pogba and McTarian. Um, and I think a lot of neutrals think that they had pretty poor seasons last year. Is that falling in line with what United fans viewed, and how important uh, are they to your potential success this season? Well, look, going on the first point, I think I think the, the reason why people don't think Pogba had a... I think the, the problem with Pogba is he's so high-profile he's going to be scrutinized but the general you know general public and and non united fans aren't going to watch those games against burnley you know swansea or whatever they're going to only watch the big games and in fairness he didn't necessarily he didn't dominate in those games and he actually had a shocker against liverpool a very high profile where he came out with that hashtag and that haircut and you know people will see that but actually all in all last season you know i watched him live i watched him you know obviously on tv and and the the the, the guy's class he's I wouldn't swap him for any central midfielder in the world right now. He's going to be sensational for us for a long time. The the the, the thing is, last year there were a lot of factors. First of all, you know, we, he's someone who flourishes, I think, more in that sort of left side of midfield role, where he's able to sort of go forward and cut in onto his right foot and have a pop at goal, which is kind of what he's been playing in preseason and he's done really well. Um, and we weren't able to necessarily have that base for him because his best games were with Carrick in that, in that sort of defense, defensive midfield position because he provides that screen and that stability and the ability to find the pass. And when he wasn't in, when Carrick wasn't playing, because he couldn't play every game, uh, Pogba had to be in a bit more of a withdrawn role. So you, you see a little bit less of him and less of that spectacular sort of style of play that we want from him. But I personally think he had a very solid season, very good season with flashes of absolute brilliance. The other thing is, he, you know, he was just, I wouldn't say, I mean, I hate saying unlucky, but, you know, he, he just had, he was just unfortunately wrong place, wrong time type of situations a lot of time where, or maybe that's the wrong phrase, but essentially, you know, he hit the barn or post nine times last season. I mean, it was incredibly, you know, unfortunate. I, I don't like the term unlucky, but let's just say unlucky. And then also he was let down by his teammates a lot. The number of times I watched him put um, passes in uh, for Ibrahimovic, for Mata, for 
Martial, Rashford, and they would miss the the chance, you know. So you put that together and you go, it's, it's a matter of inches and it's, it's like small margins. And I think this year he's had a year under his belt. He's a, obviously an influential player. And you only have to see the way we played without him in the team to understand how good he is. And, and I think people will start, we'll see his best um, this season, especially if, as is reported, we sign, well, it, it sounds like it's going to be Matic, but for me, it doesn't really matter who it is in turn, as long as it's someone who can sit in that base of that midfield and screen and pass it, let Pogba um, just free him up a bit. You know, he's been excellent in, in preseason, had a very good game again today, hit the post again today. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I just think people, it's a bit overblown, this idea that he's he's an expensive flop. I mean, lots of people have already have used that type of terminology with him when, in fact, he was not as good as someone as you would potentially expect in the really big games. But over the course of the season, I think he was excellent, especially towards the end of the season when Ibrahimovic got injured. The rest of the squad seemed really tired and fatigued, especially in the league. He was still putting in outstanding performances, box-to-box performances. So, you know, I've got no doubts about Paul Pogba. Um, Mkhitaryan, mm. I think, is a different issue. He, 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 he took time to settle. He had issues with, uh, or reportedly had issues with Jose Mourinho at the beginning of the season. And, I, and with him, again, I think it was more, it's more about consistency with him in terms of, um, you know, he, when he has a shocker, it's horrendous, you know. But when he's on it, it's just it's beautiful to watch. And I think he's he's now probably you know he's had a full season on preseason under his belt. He's had a last season at the club, and I think yes, he he'll be extremely important. And I think someone like Lukaku will suit him. You know, someone Lukaku likes to play off the shoulder, likes to make those runs in um, between the centre backs and the sides of the centre backs and, and go in for goals. So that should stretch the t- um, that the the. the you know, the defence and hopefully give a lot more space in those attacking areas for the likes of Pogba, Mkhitaryan, Martial, Mata, um, I'm going to say Lingard, but, you know, hopefully he's not mm-hmm. inside too much. But, you know, but, you know, the idea is, I think, with with, with someone who's stretching with pace and, and movement like that, hopefully someone like Mkhitaryan, it, it, it gives Mkhitaryan the sort of space to allow, uh, to, to actually do what he does really well. And again, he's had a very good preseason as well. Um in, 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 I think we've played six games now. So, yeah, I, I expect big things from him. And that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. This is kind of like, I know we've got, every club will make signings and Manchester United will probably make a couple more signings as well. But I would like to see players like Anthony Marshall, who had a quite, you know, a poor season last year. Um, Pogba, I've already mentioned. Mkhitaryan, I've already mentioned. Um, Mata. Rashford's got another full season under his bed. Again, he wasn't sensational. But he was very, very good when he when he came when he played, but he didn't get the goals. But these are players who have it, you know, have extra gears to go up. These are players who haven't yet hit their potential at United. They're not, you know, they, they haven't hit their peak. And then you've got someone like, say, for example, you know, like Luke Shaw at left back, who hopefully can finally have a decent season and run in the side and cement that uh, play um, left back spot. And, and then the signings that come in. So there's a lot of potential with that group of players and it's sort of co- it, it, it's Jose's job to coach that and make sure that they hit their potential. And that will, you know, that will supplement then all the signings that we do bring in. And that's what's going to be key to United next season. Even if he went into the season now, if he's able to get that, those extra gears out of those players, it will be a much better season for us next year in the league. 
Yeah, uh, one last uh, question for you. So, obviously, there are many, many center backs at your club right now. Also brought in mm. Victor Lindelof this offseason. Week one, who do you think is going to be your center back pairing? I don't know. I mean, when we signed Lindelof, and I don't, I didn't know a huge deal about him before he came, other than what I read and, and his sort of pedigree and what he'd done. So I've not, I hadn't watched him a lot. Um, I would have said, you know, at the beginning of preseason when we signed him, I would have said it would have been Bay and Lindelof. But he's had a shaky preseason, Lindelof. He's made a couple of mistakes. He he sent a Real Madrid player flying, you know, into orbit for, and mm. gave away a penalty, and that was pretty amusing. Um, so it might be that Jose doesn't go with that, um, with, with that centre-back par- uh, pairing. And when we, we talk about the league, because we, we play in the Super Cup against uh, Real Madrid next week, um, Bay is suspended. So I think that game we may see Smalling and, um, Lindelof in the first Premier League game, it might be Bay and Smalling. Um, I would like Hopefully, if Lindelof does get another couple of chances, he, he sort of settles into the side a bit better. And then those two would be the, the partnership. It's, a, it, it's difficult to call because we've also played with um, various formations in preseason as well. So four at the back and experimented with three at back as well. So, you know, it's and, and that might be a, a good way to balance out the fact that we've got quite a few center backs and and not really any sort of natural natural wingers. So, mm. Um, it, it's difficult to predict, but yeah, he's not had the best of starts, Lindelof, in, in, in preseason. But then that's okay; he's doing it in preseason, and lots of our, you know, Yap, Yap Stam and, and Nemanja Vidić started terribly at United and then turned out to be absolutely phenomenal defenders. So I'm not, I'm not writing him off, but I'm also not um, sort of trying to overhype him either. He's, he's, he's still young as well, so all of that plays into it hopefully he settles and and I, I and, and they become the sort of partnership that we we what we saw in like like Rio Ferdinand and Emmanuel Vidic but we'll see mm. right on to you uh Jim there has been a rumor that has continued to pop up and seems ever persistent that is blowing my mind as to why you would be chasing him as Kalechi Hianacho from Manchester City obviously you already have Jamie Vardy last year you bring in uh Slimani and Ahmed Musa Obviously, neither of them really performed the way you would have liked. Is this more of an indication about your disappointment in them or perhaps concern over an aging Jamie Vardy? I think it's probably more the former uh, than the latter because Vardy is still, although he's, uh, you know, 30 now, um, he is kind of, because I've said this before a few times on the pod, but I think because he hasn't played top-level football for that long, considering, you know, um, where he's come from in his non-league background, I think he's probably got a few more years in him um, at that kind of level. He's kind of peaking later in terms of age because of the fact he's not had that um, kind of professional um, footballing background the whole time um, of his entire career. So I think it's more to do with the fact that we were massively disappointed in you know what who, the two players that were essentially our record signings. We broke our transfer record twice. Uh, last summer, first for Musa, then for Soleimani. And ultimately, Soleimani kind of did a little bit of what we expected him to do. He scored a few headed goals, but couldn't stay fit. Musa was a complete and is a complete disaster um, and seemingly is so out of favour that, you know, he struggles to get picked in second string friendly matches these days, um, which kind of says it all. So, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me necessarily that we're going for Ian Nacho, but... 
I think it's going to be difficult to rotate all those forwards because I can't see either Silamani or Musa leaving. Um, there was a, a few rumours during the rounds that Musa might be going out the club on loan, but the problem is when you spend that much money on a player, um, he's going to be on extremely high wages. He's shown absolutely nothing to suggest that he's worth even half the wages that we're paying him at the moment. So why would he go out on loan somewhere else um, and you know, play at a lesser level and still have us play half his wages makes no sense to anybody. Um, and, you know, plus you've got to find a club to pay the other half. Um, so it's an interesting one. It's dragged on and on and on. The suggestion, I think, at the moment is that the, there's an issue over a potential buyback clause. So Man City, you know, quite rightly from their point of view, I guess, would want a buyback clause for a set amount so that in the next couple of years, if Inacho nails down a place in the first team and starts smashing in goals, then they would want to to buy him back for a set fee at a set time, like you know Real Madrid had with Morata at Juve, like Delafeu's had at Barcelona, um, and gone back there this summer. Then I can see why, but at the end of the day, I think we're still a bit sore over the fact that our contract negotiations with N'Golo Kante meant that we essentially had to play, sell one of the best players to ever play for Leicester after a single season for 32 million when in reality I think what he's shown in the last two years in the Premier League is that he's definitely worth more than 32 million um, considering you know the likes of Carl Walker's transfer for 50 million the escalating amounts of money going through the ceiling on these transfers and Golo Kante was probably an absolute bargain and century at 32 million for Chelsea so I think we're a little bit wary of putting these kind of clauses in because if Ian Acho is as good as you know Man City kind of believe he is then we'd want to keep him to ourselves uh, ourselves and not and not be obligated to sell him back um that said you know Leonardo Rougeau has potentially signed a new contract as well so I literally don't know what the lineup's going to be like coming into the new season because we could potentially have five forwards um plus Musa and you just think I don't know how he's going to rotate and get them all in but yeah I think it's more a, a damning indictment of Soleimani and Musa rather than a worry over Vardy and his kind of fitness going forward. Yeah, the other thing I want to touch on with you is uh, Shakespeare because at the end of last season, I think you were on three shows down like the, the stretch and had three different takes on the future of Shakespeare at Leicester. What kind of leash do you think he'll be on this season? I still think he's on a pretty short leash. He's been given mm-hmm. a, a three-year contract, but I think he's a candidate for if we start badly... He, uh, I still think he is not the long-term solution that the owners want. I know they've backed him and they've given him the job, but we all know that giving giving a manager a three-year contract means absolutely nothing. If you are struggling in November, then he could be out the door. Um, there's no real excuses this year because we've got no European football. Um, the, the brief seemingly from the vice chairman is that we should be looking towards a top 10 finish and to try and be a bit more um, expansive in, in the Cups because obviously they took a hit last year. Uh, bearing in mind the Champions League campaign went on for, for longer than perhaps some people would have expected. Um, so, you know, not unreachable. I think, you know, we finished one point and two places below 10th um, at the end of last season. And yeah, it was an unusually low scoring 10th place finish. But... I don't think we're a million miles away from pushing into that top 10, given we know what this squad can do, minus N'Golo Kante. And we brought in um, a bit of midfield steel in um, Ibora from Sevilla. 
Um, we've got a new centre back in Harry Maguire, which you know is it was a particular pain point for us last year because of the reliance or over reliance on uh, Wes Morgan and Robert Huth. Although Johan Benelawan came in to to kind of great fanfare in the end, and it was a little bit like the um, Mkhitaryan situation at, at Manchester United, I guess, where we brought this player in. He you know you didn't see much of him for the first few months, and then he, he continually gets a run of games in the side when Wes Morgan was injured after scoring the, the goal against Sevilla in the Champions League and you look at him you just think where's this guy been for the whole season he was you know he put in several really accomplished performances at full uh, centre-back so again you know I think it's more a case of he'll have a uh, relatively tight leash they've obviously backed him a little bit in the transfer market whether or not you know they would have given a more established manager a bit more money uh, and we would have gone out and been a bit more expansive perhaps maybe but you know, it's difficult to tell at this point. You've just got to kind of see how it goes. But the owners will never make anything but the right noises because they know that he's very popular with the fans um, and the players. And obviously that's really important, bearing in mind that once Ranieri had lost the dressing room, there was kind of no going back. So hopefully they play for him and, and we don't find out. But I still think he's he's on a pretty short leash. He could be one of the kind of sly candidates, I think, to, to go relatively early in the season if... If we don't start well, which you know, when you start at Arsenal, the first game of the season, it potentially puts you in a situation where you could be really on the back foot from the word go if they if they hammer us. All right, thanks for your input on Leicester. Uh, do either of you have any questions about Tottenham? I I mean, I think the obvious one is what are you you know Tottenham haven't signed anyone. What are fans thinking about that? I I'm personally not panicking, but I can certainly understand why other fans are, especially with the amount of depth and talent that other clubs are bringing in um, depth, I suppose, isn't even really the right word As we mentioned at the top of the show. A lot of people bringing in people that are very clearly supposed to be in the starting 11. Uh, I do not think we're going to buy until we sell though. I know that we sold Kyle Walker, obviously for a huge amount of money as has already been discussed today. Um, but that was largely because we had an in-house replacement in Kieran Trippier uh, and we, in theory, have depth behind him because we have Kyle Walker-Peters, who played very well uh, for the England U-20s when uh, England won that this summer. Um, and we have Eric Dyer, who's capable of playing it right back at times. Before he was the center-back-slash-defensive midfielder combo, he was a center-back-slash-right-back combo uh, in his first year at Tottenham. Uh, had a pretty decent cross on him. You know, it doesn't have the pace that you... Uh, would expect at that position, especially compared to Kyle Walker uh, and players of, of that really player ID. But um, in theory, we have three people capable of playing there. Would I prefer us to bring a more natural right back uh, so that we don't have to extend Dyer as cover for a third position? Yes. Um, but I'm not sure we're going to force our hand yet there at the back. I don't think we buy a center back unless we sell or loan Vimmer. But then you're just kind of in this weird place of well, kind of what's the point of getting rid of him or if we just have to bring someone in anyway, he obviously wants minutes because uh, he got kind of jobbed out of a spot uh, of the starting 11 for Austria at the last Euros. Uh, obviously would like to play in the World Cup next season. Southampton makes sense if they end up selling Van Dyke. But then, like I said, then it leaves us with a gap there. So why would we let go of a player just to bring another one in? But uh, the, the interesting thing for me is up front because... Uh, we, kind of like our North London rivals, Arsenal, are kind of waiting for some dominoes to fall. Arsenal, obviously having a hard time 
making a lot of moves until they really know what's happening with Alexis. I think it seems like Otzel is staying, but the Alexis domino is clearly the big one yet to fall. For us, it's the health of Hyungman Sun and Eric Lamella, who are both supposed to be back sometime in September, but September uh, is after the transfer window. So do we go out, try to buy a winger, um, specifically probably a more direct style of winger. Sun, Sun is that way, but obviously Lamella is more creative. Sissoko was obviously a massive failure uh, of our transfer system. So do you bring someone in, but then Sun plays the way he did last year, scoring 20-plus goals in all competitions? Lamella comes back, who was huge for us two seasons ago uh, when we finished third. Should have been second, but that's a conversation for another day. It, it's just difficult to tell what we should do uh, while we're waiting to hear back on those two players. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think... Like, if we sell Sissoko, I think we try to bring in an attacking midfielder slash winger. Uh, if we sell Vimmer, I think we bring in a center back. We may just bring in a right back anyway. But I, I really don't think there's going to be that moving parts. I think we're going to give Jansen another year. So you don't want to bring in another forward and just push him further back because the lack of minutes is largely what I think led to his struggles, that lack of confidence after playing 30-plus matches, obviously... Uh, at Azed the year before. I just think it's it's the timing isn't right for us to make a lot of moves right now. Pochettino still seems to think we're going to make three to four moves. Uh, he keeps telling people in all these ICC pressers to relax and that you know we're we're definitely going to make moves. The question is who, if, and when. Um, but I'm not necessarily panicked. I think there's a way that even if we didn't make moves, we're just as good. You mentioned Joshi earlier that. A lot of the big clubs are having to go out and buy strikers. We don't have to do that. We we already have that player in-house. We have loads of young talent with Ali and Erickson and Dyer. Um, and even Nkudu has looked good this preseason, which would obviously be massive for us with those injuries out wide. Uh, but yeah, uh, panic. I can understand why some fans are if you're looking at us compared to other teams. But I think as in years past, and I've probably mentioned this for two years now, the best way for us to improve as a team is for our individual young players to continue to develop. It's not bringing in somebody ahead of them. It's just continuing that development because so many of our players have just ridiculously high levels of potential. And if we can tap into those reserves, I think that that could be more beneficial than, say, going out and buying you know, a 30 million pound winger um, <laughs> or Ross Barkley. Uh, but I suppose time will tell. All right, now we are going to head into Player Watch where we're going to talk about players that have impressed us uh, this preseason. Uh, so for you guys, is there anybody that's stood out in particular or somebody that maybe you weren't expecting a lot from that has looked good thus far? We'll start off with you, Joshi. Um, preseason, who's looked good? Well, look, we've rotated quite a bit. Uh, we've played a number of different formations. Um, he's given minutes to Andreas Pereira, Axel Twanzebe, Demi Mitchell, Timothy Fosu-Mensa, uh, oh, McTominay, he's, that's another one, and Joel Pereira. So all of these are young players um, that have come through the academy at United or were signed very young into the academy. Um, and actually, from, from what I've seen and, and, and their work in the reserves, and Andreas Pereira was on loan last year in La Liga, um, actually, it's a really exciting group of players and arguably... Um, the most exciting group of players as since the class of 92. I'm not saying they will all go on to, to do anywhere near what, what they did. But since, since that group of players came through, you know, the gigs, Beckham, Skulls, crew, 
Um, we've not really had a group of players come through together and really cement themselves into the first team. Um, and I think that's probably been the most uh, impressive um, thing, or not impressive, but the most exciting thing for me in pre-season is that they're getting minutes together and they've looked very comfortable. Um, Scott McTominay's got a couple of goals. Uh, he's a midfielder. And, you know, he, I actually... Um, been quite I've been quite impressed by him and Andreas Pereira's looked extremely comfortable in central midfield as well so yeah th- that's probably the most um, exciting thing for me looking into the new season I don't think they'll get sort of as much um, game time as they have done in pre-season I think obviously once you get into the season they're you know you're looking to win every game and, and Jose will go with his first 11 obviously but I think it's still really good um, good signs for a lot of those players. They won't all go on to become first-team players at United and and, and and obviously some of them will leave. But but I think there's there's a lot of talent in there and, and I think Jose will play them if if they show that sort of maturity that they have done in pre-season and they take it through into their future performances. Standout player, again, it's Paul Pogba. He's been absolutely outstanding in pre-season. He just looks a cut above whenever he's on the pitch. And Mourinho said it the other day about uh, when we played, I think it was after the Barcelona game. Um, but he said, when you play teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona, they have elite level players all over the pitch, you know, world-class players all over the pitch. And United aren't, necess- aren't, aren't at that level just yet. We have quite a lot of potential in the team, but he singled out Paul Pogba as someone who just does not... Um, he doesn't look out of place. You know, he would fit into any team in the world. And he was, even in those matches, you know, stood up and was one of the best players on the pitch. And, you know, that that's sort of what I'm looking forward to in, in the new year is sort of his game going up a level. And, um, well, part of it is also because I want him to shut all the critics up, but also I'm really excited to see him develop into this into what I believe will be the best midfielder in the world. And finally, just last word on um, Marcus Rashford. He's come back into the he's come back from the break looking extremely fit. He looks stronger. His physique is a lot um, uh, more muscular, and he's not lost any pace. He's he's been brilliant on in during preseason as well started off with a couple of goals in his first game he's got a few more a couple more since and yeah I think I'm really excited to see him and and how he develops and to be honest um I wouldn't I'm not I'm not I mean I'm not making a prediction but I actually think it's not just a it's not a clear-cut case of Lukaku starts every game automatically even though we spent 75 million on him Marcus Rashford has looked excellent preseason, and I think when he gets his chances, he's going to be a lot more clinical. He scored a couple of chances in preseason, which were the type of chances he missed um, last year. And I think if he gets game time, he will get goals and he will make di- uh, make the difference in matches. And it isn't so just a straightforward uh, Lukaku will will play. And 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 we've seen with Jose Mourinho, he's not that type of a manager, even if someone's got a huge price tag on his on um and and you know reputation etc he will do what's best for the team and to get that result so it's going to be really interesting to see how that 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 sort of dynamic works out um and you know he may actually pair up with Lukaku quite a bit more often than we think as well so that would be quite exciting to see so there's lots of stuff there and uh, it's all about the potential of the group of players um, uh, that we've got, which is which is probably what you know as a whole what excites me most about the new season. 
All right, and Jim, anybody for Lesser particularly stand out this far? We have had a rotten preseason, um, so not really. I think we've only scored one goal since we came back from the Premier League Asia Trophy. Um, obviously, we beat um, West Brom on penalties to get to the final, and it was a pretty good game against Liverpool. It's quite a high-tempo game, um, unusually for these preseason friendlies. I think a lot of them are normally very low-tempo affairs, and they can be a bit tepid at times, but it was a pretty good game. Um, Leicester took the lead and then Liverpool pegged us back. I think the one player um, who stood out for me in the kind of limited games that I've watched, I must admit I've not seen all of the uh, matches against uh, Wolves and uh, Milton Keynes Dons and those kind of domestic friendlies. Um, but the games that I have watched, it's been the kind of Mares show. Um, he looks like he's playing for a move, which is both positive and negative, because if we can hold on to him for um, another few months, we might get, you know, that first half of the season, he could be a really, really special uh, player to watch. The worrying thing about that is that he normally turns it on when he's got either something to prove or he'd like to move on. Um, so although Roma's interest seems to have kind of fallen by the wayside now that we've turned down their second offer, um, it wouldn't surprise me if he was subject to a few late bids in the transfer window. So it's an interesting one with him. You kind of, you want him when he's when he fancies it, but he can be really, really anonymous, um, which I think is probably the reason that no one's come in for him yet because he showed in the second half of last season when his head kind of dropped that he just wasn't particularly interested and you don't really want to be spending the kind of money that you would need to take him away when he's on a four-year, another four-year contract. Um, on £100,000 a week, you know, he's going to be an expensive player um, to acquire for any club. So I think he, he's got a point to prove and he's seemingly been out to do that. Worryingly, we haven't scored many goals going forward at all. Um, there was a nil-nil draw at MK Dons. There was um, a really kind of tepid performance at Wolves. So it's, it's I don't know, it's a difficult one to judge um, pre-season. You know, I don't want to be one of these doom merchants that thinks that we're going to have a terrible season because we've not beaten a couple of lower kind of league clubs. Um, but it, it's slightly worrying that we're not creating enough in the final third. Um, that could all come crashing down, obviously, if, if we go out against Arsenal and have a good game. There are there are two more uh, matches still to, to, to play before we go to the Emirates uh, a week on Friday. So we've got um, Burton Albion, who are like a a championship club that's quite close to us so we should take a good following up there and hopefully that's another game to to get sharpness into the legs and then we're playing against Borussia and Washington Gladbach at, at home which is our only home friendly so it'll give a lot of fans a, a good chance to see um, what they're made of there yeah overall though there hasn't been a huge amount of positives I think Mara's aside um, it's kind of it really he's the only player that's kind of shown the, the sharpness and the match fitness that we would want at this time of year. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be proved wrong in the next week or so. Obviously, it's far too early to, to start getting too concerned about things like that. How has Maguire looked? Um, fine in the Asia Trophy. Didn't uh, In the first game, he looks OK. Um, I don't think he covered himself in glory in the second game. And by all accounts, the entire defensive unit got ripped to shreds by Wolverhampton Wanderers on more than one occasion. Um, and obviously, they've got a couple of Portuguese wonder kid type football manager, superstar players <laughs> um, that have come in off the back of this Jorge Mendes kind of connection. And they're, you know, hotly tips in some quarters to do very, very well um, 
in the championship this year. So there might well be a case to say they're going to be a Premier League team this time next year. Um, they look kind of strong and they've paid, I think, £15 million for Neves and a couple of others. So, you know, it's it, it's it's interesting. Um, we, by all accounts, were very much second best and he was being pulled left, right and centre by their kind of pacey attack. So it will be interesting to see what the likes of Lacazette um, Sanchez, if he plays, and you know Theo Walcott, Alex Osso, Chamberlain are, are going to do to him. Um, it's always difficult, I guess, with these these players coming in from uh, clubs a little bit like Michael Keane, I guess, at Burnley. He was probably more of a safe bet because he's shown his his class, and obviously they stayed up. But buying Ben Gibson, who we've also been heavily linked with, or Harry Maguire, was always going to be a bit of a risk because um, they they got relegated last year. So it's a difficult one. Hopefully he grows into it and it's just kind of that sticking point of, of getting used to potentially a new system, a new centre-back partner and and playing at hopefully what will end up being a higher level than he's been used to so far. But um, I'm fairly confident in our scouting team that we've done you know, the due diligence to, to assure ourselves that he's a, he's a good enough player. But yeah, the, the jury's still well and truly out, I think, on, on all the pre-season acquisitions because um, obviously we've seen so little of them. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, the player that's really stuck out the most, and, and you know, in part because I saw him live, but also in, in a couple of the other ones, was uh, George Kevin and Kudu, who has a real opportunity to snag himself at least temporarily a first team slot. Like I said, with uh, Son and Lamella both missing out uh, through injury at the moment, uh, there was a level of mindfulness to his game yesterday that we have not really seen much from him in a Spurs shirt of knowing when to try to beat his man one-on-one, whether it be with just skill or just outright pace, knowing when to pull back and wait for either the overlap or wait for somebody more centrally to to try to distribute it. That way we did struggle mightily through the middle of the pitch, so that's uh, one of the reasons Ikudu had so much play. Uh, he did not look as good when he was face-to-face with Kyle Walker, but uh, even though I was just saying that we had uh, a right-back capable of replacing him, the size-pace combination of Kyle Walker is not a very common thing. Uh, in in uh, that position. So as soon as Walker was off, Nkudu started really having himself a day. And there are not many players that will be able to keep up with Nkudu uh, if he keeps his head down uh, and just <laughs> runs straight at you. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he can uh, convert that. If if Son and Lamella aren't ready for the start of the season, hopefully he can uh, lock down one of those spots and, and show us what he can really do uh, after what was a pretty disappointing debut season where we didn't really see much of him at all other than substitute appearances, most notably in the Champions League. Um, he is a little trick-happy. Uh, sometimes you just want him to be more direct. But yesterday they were more effective than they have been in the past. In the past they were just kind of useless stepovers that didn't lead to anything. Um, but a couple times, even when he did uh, just <laughs> randomly decide to scale everyone, uh, there were some benefits. There was a cross in. Um, that you know, a head should have found. It wasn't a poor cross by any stretch. Um, just happened to miss people. Um, and later on, there were three men surrounding him, and he just did a nice little roulette to pull it back before just laying it off uh, to somebody deeper in the midfield. So hopefully he can uh, develop for us because we spent like $10 million plus in G, who was another French wigger that didn't uh, work out for us. So uh, hopefully we can get a little bit more out of him. Uh, and on the low... Um, Anthony Georgiou, who has been in our youth academy for quite some time now, um, and like uh, Winks and Mason before him, was never the player you heard about in the youth ranks. Um, but when he came on 
against Roma in particular in, in the ICC. Again, uh, he, he just looked plenty of fun, had the pace, uh, had the tricks, had the mentality, um, had a shot that, that probably, you know, on a luckier day would have gone in. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, not thinking that he'll uh, be a first-teamer this year, but maybe just keep an eye on him as uh, those the, the dark horses in our academy tend to be the ones that break through, not the big-name ones. So uh, just kind of keep, keep an ear to the ground on Anthony Georgiou. All right, that'll do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell the people where they can find you or anything you're working on at the moment, now would be a good time. Brilliant. Thanks a lot for having me on. Um, I've been Doc Joshi. You can find me on Twitter at Doc underscore Joshi and this podcast and other podcasts and various YouTube stuff as well. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight 88 My day job, um, I'm head of content marketing for a company called Perform. So that's goal.com, Sockaway. Um, who have got a brand new preseason betting guide out this week. It should be with you on Tuesday. So if betting on football is your thing or you just want to read a bit more preseason analysis ahead of the new season, we've got that covering uh, Premier League, Championship, La Liga, Bundesliga and Syria as well. So it should be, um, I've seen it already, it looks great. So it's well worth um, kind of downloading and taking a look at if, if betting is your thing. Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. I'm the fantasy writer over at uh, Goal.com, which is under Jim's uh, umbrella there. Uh, also host of the FPL Roundtable, so as uh, we're gearing up for the start of the season, if fantasy is your flavor, um, be sure to check that out. It's also going out over Fantrax and Fantrax Radio, so if you're interested in other fantasy sports, be sure to, to go over that way. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm forgetting loads and loads of things. Oh, the championship show is back either today or tomorrow by the time you're listening to this. Um, so if, uh, you want to hear about the clubs that may come up as, uh, was being mentioned by Jim there, Wolves, uh, seem to be making a whole lot of football manager slash FIFA-esque signings. Uh, so if you want to hear what's going on, uh, down in the championship and who may be up the following season, uh, give that a listen as well. Thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.